Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. What one is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good right. lad. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. Now I wouldn't for a second suggest that we here at second captains at the Irish Times are tougher than Irish rugby enforcer Paul O'Connell. That's for others to decide, frankly. But I would like to point out that a sleepless night was enough to keep O'Connell from taking his place in the Irish team to play Scotland yesterday, while a Super Bowl-induced lack of sleep was not enough, nowhere near enough to keep us out of studio today as we bring you the first ever Monday edition of the show. Well done and getting up and getting into work, guys. I'm calling Paul O'Connell out. I'm calling him out in this, you know. I got three and a half hours sleep. Um, but arguably, I don't. I don't function well on three and a half hours sleep. Playing against Scotland is more difficult than huddling for clutching this cup of tea <laughs> in the studio. I mean, well, I mean, really, you, you think? there's a lot of mental strength there's required, a lot of, a lot of concentration work. required for us here. Listen, I know a, a, a lot of the Irish players are joying about, you know. Having to do some homework. Physicality. Now that, now that Joe Schmidt is, you know, telling them here's how they're going to play the game. I mean, but when it comes to act, the mental acuity to sit here and to talk to two people that I've known for a long number of years about some <laughs> sports events that I watched over the weekend, I mean, that's just the sort of thing that, you know, you know, you can't trade that. At least Peyton Manning was good enough to completely choke Ken along with the rest of his team show absolutely zero fight and give us a little bit of sleep we could all slip off early in the fourth quarter well this is the thing that I um, honestly I was blown away by this incident that happened in the first couple of minutes where you know you you hear about American football being so um, cerebral and so carefully choreographed and everything is going to be everything is so detailed and everybody understands exactly to the inch Mm. where it is they have to be, what, the, what it is they have to be doing at that moment. It's like um, the Schlieffen plan. You know, every single, uh, you know, when the Denver Broncos have the ball in the Super Bowl, you imagine they know exactly what's supposed to happen for the next three minutes, every move of the ball mm. almost. Um, and somehow or other they managed to just, I honestly do something I've never seen before. Yeah. To, I mean, have you ever seen that no, before? So the ball, for people who weren't staying up late watching, the ball was snapped to Peyton Manning. A very simple thing. The first snap Who of the game. The apparently snap of the game. wasn't watching. Well, he was in the middle of... 
I think it was the centre's fault who snapped the ball. Peyton Manning was in the middle of going, edging forward to give this guy a bit of instruction as to what to do or give one of the other players in his offensive line an instruction. In the meantime, the snapper goes, oh, I better get this ball out to Peyton. Whips it out, goes behind Peyton Manning, is recovered by a player, but by that stage they've conceded a safety in two points, setting the tone for what was one of the worst ever. Well, it's by a mile the worst ever performance at the Super Bowl because they were favourites going in. Yeah, I mean, there have been some blowouts over the years. Expected blowouts, usually. yeah. Yeah. Denver were actually favourites for the game. I now, honestly think you could write a you could write a book about that. Just one incident. I mean, it was just an incredible piece of slapstick in in what's supposed to be you know the most carefully prepared sports event in the in the whole world. It was like the Thierry Henry Robert Perez attempted penalty, but. Apparently they'd been training for this moment their entire lives. Do you know what it was like? Uh, the whole match reminded me, and the build-up to it, of Leinster-Munster 2006. Wasn't 2006 when Munster absolutely destroyed? Well, it's just, you have one team who are known as the better attacking side, more open, more entertaining supposedly for the neutral, coming off the back of a couple of big wins, one in particular, and everybody hyping them up beyond belief. The other team thinking to themselves... We're so much better than this team. All we need to do is apply some pressure early on. They'll make a couple of high-profile mistakes and we'll crush the life out of them after that, mm. which is exactly what happened on both occasions. Sorry to bring that up for all Lencer fans out there. And, and for Malcolm O'Kelly, who dropped the... I didn't want to mention the name, Murph. I did not want to mention Malcolm O'Kelly's well, he, early drop listen, ball. He's, you know, he's... he's Quite possibly listening to the show. Well, Malcolm, if you are, you know that we all love you here. Uh, you know, you and Ken are friends. Have been friends for a long number of years now. But... You did drop that. Have you seen his description of himself on Twitter? Tall bad. Yeah. Malcolm O'Kelly. Ask Malcolm O'Kelly. Tall bad. Um, one, tall one of the comments from last night that sticks in my head. I, I and alleged of Irish rugby, I feel bad now. Was that um, for Peyton Manning, pressure is kryptonite. Oh, yeah, they said that. <laughs> <in Scotland. laughs> thought, well, that's honestly not. That's honestly can be quite a big problem. Yeah. For a quarterback. Yeah, you've, you've got. How has he got to 37? Crumbling well, I mean, under pressure. Yeah. The Seattle Seahawks really, they managed to crack the code there, you know, that if you can put him under extreme pressure, then that will affect his performance. I mean, you didn't see that coming, you know. Tuesday's shows are now out on Mondays. Just to reiterate, we are here. We're still calling it Tuesday, but it's out on Monday. Yeah, no, forget. Just forget the name. Tuesday doesn't exist anymore, unless you don't catch this on a Monday, in which case do have a listen on the Tuesday. But we'll be out every Monday, and the football show will be out a little bit later on today. One of the great Gaelic footballers of the last decade has announced... Oh, just before we leave Super Bowl, we're not talking to US Murph today. We'll let the dust settle a little bit and talk to him later on in the week. But one of the great Gaelic footballers of the last 10 years has announced his retirement... In somewhat anticlimactic fashion, Paul Galvin's name came up on Saturday night after the game against Kerry, when uh, against Dublin, I should say, when Kerry's manager, Eamon Fitzmaurice, was asked, oh, why is Paul Galvin not in the team today? He was supposed to be playing, we thought. And he said, oh, yeah, no, 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 he's retired. Mm. Yeah, Galvin's, Galvin's retired. Now, there's, there's nothing uh, untoward about it or anything. It just seems like, you know, you, you put 10 or 11 years into the representing your county and it just... I don't know, besides ending on winning an All-Ireland final, it's always going to seem like a bit of an anticlimax for a Kerry player. Yeah. Yeah, no, it, it was. It was kind of. It was kind of strange. strange. Right. No, he, he he released a statement on the same night, and he said that we decided it was best to announce it after the game. So yeah. I'm not trying to hint that there are any dark forces at work. It's just you would sometimes think that a player would get some amazing send off. Yeah, well, no, that's not how it's done. They shuffle <sighs> off the stage. Yeah, they generally do. Uh, I guess. On with another player waiting in the wings. That's just how it goes. The big sporting event from an Irish point of view over the weekend was Ireland-Scotland, which we'll be talking loads about in the next couple of minutes. Uh, this match, Kieran, but you know my theory about Gaelic football championship games. Uh, I talked about it a lot last oh, year. Oh, the, uh, the, you can tell the winner 
purely by the speed at which they leave the dressing room. Is that the one? Yeah. Six, because you've got it like two or three. Six Nations. Do you know you can tell the winner of that before How? the game even starts? Anthems. How? The anthems. Yeah. Well, we Did you see Peter O'Mahony butchering both of our anthems? Incredible. <laughs> with such passion. <laughs> he's, he's a very loud singer, which I think means that he's a bad singer. The mic seemed to be turned yeah, up particularly fine. loud, though. Even it got under O'Driscoll, and I was thinking, I've never heard O'Driscoll, really. I've never actually Tell heard him sing. You see the mouth move a lot, but I yeah. don't know if the mics were just particularly loud he's for the not, anthems. He's not bad, is he? He is. They're all quite bad. No, I thought Brian O'Driscoll acquitted himself reasonably well. Peter O'Mahony was loud, uh, and, you know, maybe not the most cultured classical singer. But, I mean, I think that there was... Um, there was some merit to it, you know. I mean, it's an anthem, you know. You kind of got to bellow it out. The great thing that I thought, I mean, we were we were basically training up before the game started, as I said on Twitter yesterday, because we somehow managed to take Flower of Scotland, you know, the call to arms for the entire Scottish nation, and turn it into like a little waltz. Uh, the the, bre- yeah. <laughs> the band was hilarious, like this unbelievably upbeat kind of remodeled for the twenty first century. Uh, yeah, it's it very, was a very strange yeah, rendition were... of, of Flower of Scotland. And the, you can see the Scottish players are like, oh, God, I mean, what is this? I mean, what sort of a country are we running here? I mean, this is a ridiculous little waltz that we've got for a national anthem. Um, so, yeah, it was 3-0 Ireland before the ball was even kicked off. Would you belt out the anthem, Ken, if you were an Irish international sports person? Or would you focus more on the game? Uh, I don't believe in anthems. Oh, you think at all? Uh, no, I think it's a nonsense. Though. Do you not like the pageantry, the... I, would, I think I would probably make a point of not singing the anthem. I would probably be one of those guys. Yeah, yeah, we know those guys. So you wouldn't sing Aaron Avene or indeed Ireland's Call? No. Yeah, we, we, there were plenty of guys like you. I served a plenty of guys like you back in now, but <laughs> the sort of thing that uh, someone would say in a movie. Well, it's more just like, I think that the guys crying and so on, singing these silly little songs. Yeah, it's quite bright. It just, it, just, uh, it doesn't add up for me. I uh, no. I mean, I I think there's something inauthentic about it. Oh, you think? Yeah. Yeah. You'd so, say, would you say to John Hayes' face? Would you? I'd say just don't question my passion, Hayes. Just because I appear to be completely unemotionally emotionally <laughs> unaffected by what's happening, don't question that I feel this every bit as deeply as you. You know, mm. I'm just not going to. Don't cry. worry about the loose head side here. I've got it, John. You're just concentrating yeah. the tight head. Yeah, there. yeah, yeah. I said, well, I mean, side of the listen, you know, very different characters, both playing in the front row. You know, how do they make it work? We are joined now by Shane Horgan and Dennis Hickey. Delighted to say we'll be chatting for a while now about yes. And also looking forward, I think, already at the start of this week. We have to start looking forward to Wales, guys. Dennis, thanks very much for popping in. Yeah, no problem. I know Shane was, uh, judging by uh, his post-match TV analysis, was quite enthused by the performance yesterday, certainly by the second half performance. Was it a, as good a start as you could ask for? Yeah, I think one of the one of the um, uh, one of the, the problems with playing Scotland is that you're not tested a huge amount. Like I remember, it must have been must be two thousand three. I think when Declan Kidney was the assistant coach uh, to Ireland when his first when he first involved in eighty, O'Sullivan was the coach. And I remember going to play Scotland uh, over in Edinburgh and um, Declan Kidney saying before the game, you know, well if if our if our if our defence is good and we, 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 we focus now in the last, you know, run into this game just on our fe- on our defence, you know, look across, where, where are they going to score a try? And 10 years later, 
It's exactly the same. It's exactly the same thinking playing against Scotland. Even though they have a decent back three these days. They do have a decent back three, but they don't have a decent uh, midfield attacking. and They don't have an, a, a decent um, approach to attacking. Uh, and 10 years later, it's exactly the same question. Is that where where are Scotland ever going to score a try? And, and, and no stage really in that game yesterday did they look like they were going to break through and score a try. They do have a good back three. I think Hogg's a great, a great 15. But I just, um, you know, that's, it, that's a little bit of, this, there's a little bit something... It's almost a bit false playing Scotland in right. the sense that, that they'll be tested so much more next week that they didn't get a particularly strong test of that this week. And that, that can lead to a little bit of false confidence. Shane? Well. Yeah, I think Dennis is right about the back three in Scotland. I think they're very potent back three. Uh, Hogg in particular is an excellent broken field runner. He's a great and player, yeah. When they kick the ball... Um, laxly to him then you know he really made big yards but there's no good in having you could have the best back three in the world but if you're not holding anyone in the inside and you're you know you're, you're throwing a long pass out after um, soft lines uh, from 10 to 13 mm. it's very very difficult to do anything and that's what we saw uh, against Scotland they just didn't have the technique to hold the inside channels while moving the ball out and putting it in front of a back three who could actually do a really good job for you if they were say playing outside um, you know, Johnny Sexton and Brian O'Driscoll. Yeah, like if I was if I was anyone playing Scotland again, um, I'd be just saying, okay, wherever we kick the ball, just don't kick it to Hogg because mm. he's the most dangerous player. He, I thought he was a fantastic game yesterday with such limited um, ball, but the times he made it, any sort of inroads were off, uh, you know, kicks that he'd fielded and um, that he was able to, to to come back on the counter attack. But keep the ball away from him, and you'd wonder where they were, how they were going to break through. Were Ireland Shane uh, as innovative as you would have expected them to be? Did it look like a Joe Schmidt team in that sense? Um, I think I, you know, I said it after the game. I think you could see start to see some of the footprint, as fingerprints of Joe Smith over the game plan. Uh, sorry, over the game plan. Um, I thought um, that their accuracy at um, in the in the rolling mall was really really impressive. You know that just looks set. It's, it was set very low and um, very you know very particular in where everyone was was and what their job role um, for that rolling mall um, included. It was very very good, and they could have had a number of tries in the rolling mall. Also from from the multi phase. Um, they also were very specific in their job roles and the players, you could see the pattern had already been set and there was a couple of times, and this is very positive for Ireland, you could really see Johnny Sexton starting to hum and was directing um, proceedings, but not just on his own, with, uh, with the knowledge that everybody was going to be in the right position. And we could start to see that in the last particularly 20 minutes of the game. So I think that accuracy of where you're meant to be and what your job role is, that's Joe Smith. Um, all over it and I thought that was you know that was very impressive but sometimes um, again I said this you know you can be concerned that when players have a specific job to do in a in a multi-phase so that's like a planned move over a number of phases um, that you worry that they're so worried about getting their job done correctly or being in the right position that they don't react to what's what actually in, actually in front of them. I thought Ireland did that really well, and it's unusual. And I think it's a big step up. It's a big step up to be told you have to be in this position, and this is the overall pattern. But then being able to react really well to it and bring something different because it's that innovation and the ability to do and the trust to allow players to play what's in front of them. 
that's really, really important and probably the difference between, you know, an average team and a very good team. And we saw that in particular with the Sexton break that you mentioned, Dennis. Mm. The, uh, he's one of the few out-halves in the competition that can probably do that. Uh, it's fair to say he's the best out-half in the competition, which is not a bad starting point, I guess, for launching a Six Nations campaign. No, you'd certainly say looking across the, the tens that play at the weekend, he did have the probably the strongest performance of all of them. And, and, and um, I think what was... What was valuable about that break was not only that they knew to score a try, is that I actually thought a lot of Ireland's back play in the first half was fairly lateral. I don't mm-hmm. think it was particularly, uh, you know, it wasn't particularly cutting and it, it was sloppy at times. And and if I was Wales looking at that, I would say, you know, pinpoint one area where Ireland were slightly weak, certainly in the first half, is that when Ireland did move the ball wide, they were a little bit lateral um, and uh, they didn't, they, they lost the ball on the wide channel a few times with Rooks, so they'd move it out wide and they didn't compete enough. So if I was Wales, you know, given the back three they have, certainly Cuthbert and North, you know, if they can, if they can get Ireland into a Rook out wide, I think if they, they'll, they'll really target that as a ball they can try and turn over. I think Ireland need to really work on that, uh, certainly for, for, for next week. But I think, getting back to Johnny Sexton, I think in the second half they're much more direct um, which isn't just down to Johnny, but um, I think they ju- they had, they just kind of recognised quickly they had been too they had been too lateral, um, and uh, and that's actually why you know Johnny was obviously able to read that so that Scotland were drifting and make that break. Um, and uh, you're right, I didn't see any other at half um, this weekend who really showed his ability to do that. Do we need a little bit more in the backline chain though? Um, and, you know, I don't know if it's Simon Zebo, maybe Luke Fitzgerald to come back in, uh, Gordon Darcy again at centre. It just seems that at at, at times we could, we're, we're somewhat limited there. Um, I don't think so. No. I actually think we've got potentially we've got a really good backline, and I think we've got a, as you, you mentioned a, a couple of names that can come back in. I think Luke Fitzgerald will certainly uh, be pushing. I thought Trimble was really committed on the wing. Um, and Dave Carney was so brave, honestly. Um, you know, some of the chasing those box kicks and chasing kicks that weren't great, you know, that were, were putting you in a difficult position. I thought Conor Murray kicked long really well and made some huge gain um, yardage uh, from the long box kick, but from his medium range box kick where you're looking to regather, I didn't think his accuracy was great. And, uh, you know, aside from that, he had a very good game. But um, he needs to work on that because he's not as good as the other two halfbacks at putting that ball on a sixpence. But as a result, you had um, Carney and uh, you know Trimble on the other wing, really tearing after that ball and you know making life really difficult for the for the back three and um, re- you know getting some ball back that they shouldn't, they really shouldn't have done. So. I do accept, though, that the that the starter plays weren't as good as um, Ireland can do them, and that's unusual because that's normally the cornerstone of Irish play. Their starter plays from scrum and line are normally really, really accurate, really precise, and we normally get, you know, if not uh, clean breaks, we get one or two clean clean breaks. We make big yardage and we really put teams under pressure, and that's that's surprising as well because I know Joe has a big focus on that as well. Um, now. You know, there's a plus and a negative in that. Okay, you're a little bit disappointed that it didn't go as well as it should have against Scotland. But I couldn't imagine that Ireland starter plays aren't going to be as good as um, aren't going to be better next week. So I'd like to know what you know, Dennis. What you think about that because Irish teams traditionally have been built around those starter plays, and you're right, they weren't great um, on, on uh, yesterday. Yeah, like uh, maybe it's the, maybe it's the 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 
kind of the start of the season and actually kind of just betting yourself into the the, the different tempo or pressure or defensive pressure of um, of international rugby. And I thought Scotland Scotland's midfield defence in particular was 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 um, was very tight. That they're they're you know the two centres are big guys and you know they didn't miss many tackles yesterday. Uh, as I said, they're not they're not as as effective in an attacking sense, but they're you know they're very offensive, uh, very effective defensively. Um, yeah, I just as I said, I just thought it was maybe a little lateral. I know Ireland favour. They favour obviously going out the back a lot, uh, and you see it in, in in pretty much every time they play off off any phase. And at times, I just think they overplayed that. I just think they 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 um, they, they move the ball uh, behind, and, and that by its nature is a lateral movement. Um, uh, the defence is able to go a little bit softer. I I also think though as well that the um, that they you know the the kicking game the the timing of the kicking isn't always isn't always. Um, uh, isn't always spot on. You know, I think they rely too much on Conor Murray to to, to kick. Uh, sometimes it's effective. Certainly in the second half was more effective than the first. Uh, and out in the wide channels, they they some of the early kicks through again weren't as weren't as effective. Um, they were kicked through, and 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 the, and the fifteen or, or the blind side was able to come across and, and and deal with it much better certainly than than they were in the second half. I just I just think they were maybe lacking a slight bit of um, directness and intensity to their running in the first half that they would have had, say, for example, against New Zealand. Which is something that Brian O'Driscoll can bring to the table when he's at his best. Shane, was there enough about O'Driscoll's performance? He came into it probably a, a bit less under the radar than he had hoped with the whole Kimmage book thing falling apart last week and his name in the headlines. I'm sure it doesn't affect his on-field performance, this kind of stuff. But uh, was there enough about him to suggest that he could hit the form that we need him to hit over the next few games? I actually think that Ireland need to readdress one thing with Brian. I think they've moved away from getting him enough ball. And there was a huge focus um, on, on Brian a number of years ago, maybe almost too much, uh, getting him the ball and putting it in his hands, putting the ball in the best player's hands and, and you know, almost developing a, a game plan around him. Now, I think we were probably too Brian-centric um, a few years ago and we were uh, you know, a little easier to read but I don't think they got the ball to him enough um, yesterday I, I think it was a real issue and he, as a result that's maybe why our starter plays weren't as good because he's very effective at holding the inside and then um, moving uh, the ball around where I thought they were using him a little bit more as a distributor but the inside hadn't held well enough and um, the outside were being closed down quite quickly uh, by a, a you know a, a rapid uh, Scottish defence. So I think maybe you know move towards getting. He's a you know he's a still a brilliant player. He's a key player for us. I'd like to see the ball in his hands a bit more. But because he didn't have his hands, it, it wasn't he didn't get as much ball as you might as he might have liked. As a result, he put in a crazy defensive performance. He had I think the stat was twenty four tackles for a centre in seventy minutes. So. He's always contributing to Ireland. You know, you just don't always see it as as glaringly um, in defence as an attack. But he had a huge performance in defence, and he made a lot of tackles and worked the back end of the tackle very well uh, last uh, yesterday. So um, I think he's he's you can see he's really keen to to be involved um, to contribute. And his only outlet for contribution yesterday really was in defence. But you know, he certainly he certainly did that. Yeah, the unseen work, Shane. Is that it? The, the unseen, unseen work. The unseen or the undone work, as they used to say, by about some of my games. Um, the um, I, I think I'd be interested to hear what Shane thinks. I think um, uh, I think both guys are obviously fantastic players. I think Luke Marshall's, uh, you know, is is a fine player, but I just I'm not convinced with the balance between between Luke Marshall and and and, and Brian Driscoll. I don't think. What's wrong with it? 
Well, I'm not quite sure, but I don't think any of the games they played together, they work particularly well together. You know, I don't think that they've they really kind of forged a, a centre partnership. I think Joe Schmidt has probably looked looked at it and said, well, these maybe are the two best centres, you know, who have played week in, week out. Let's say that's that's the rationale for his decision-making. But I'm not sure it's the best combination. Yeah, I don't think the games they played last year, now to be fair to Luke Marshall last year, he was carried off in pretty much every game he played. He didn't play a huge amount. But I just don't think they've had a chance to build up that rapport, and I think he, he I think Joe Schmidt might might go back to the to the to the Darcy Driscoll the partnership way he was because of the partnership. Yeah, it seemed as though he was leading towards sticking mm. with Marshall, um, for, even if Darcy is okay next week. But you don't yeah. you don't necessarily know and, from a press conference. And maybe he wants to persevere, and maybe you know this is that's just literally from my from my uh, viewpoint of uh, of seeing. And again, I don't think it's a reflection on either the players individually. Yeah. I just think I I haven't seen. I just haven't seen the the, the um, well. I suppose it's unders- unsurprising that you wouldn't have wouldn't see the same rapport between guys who played maybe ten times together as opposed to guys who played hundreds and hundreds of times together yeah. between at, at, at province and uh, and at, at national level. But I, I don't know. I'm not sure what sh- what Shane thinks about that. I, I think Dennis. I think that it, it's a, it's almost impossible to build up a trust really quickly that what Dorothy and O'Driscoll have there as you said it's built up over 10-15 years it's just incredible and it's instinctive mm-hmm. um, and they really do trust each other um, in defence I think that that is it's difficult to recreate um, and it's certainly difficult to recreate in a, in a couple of games I think you're right I think that just that level of trust between Marshall who I think did well I think he carries the ball very very strongly yeah, um, and um, you know he'll get you over the gain line, and he's very, very physical. And I know he's he's an incredibly well conditioned athlete as well, and he can he's going to play for Ireland a lot. But I'm just wondering if you know if O'Driscoll, you know, made 24 tackles. That's uh, that signified something as well. I know Marshall made a lot of tackles as well, but to make 24 tackles in the centre. Are you 100% confident with the guys around you and the roles that they're taking? The tr- and are you leaving maybe that, that tackle that you might be able to leave to them and cover out wide? Are you making that tackle because you're just not maybe getting the communication um, that you would from, from Darcy? And you know what? I don't even think, if you look at the way um, O'Driscoll and Darcy interact together, they don't even communicate massively on the field. It's just they know they can read each other's uh, body shape. But... Um, I think, you know, it's probably Brian O'Driscoll is the best one to, to answer that question. You know, you'll never find an you never get an answer to it from him. Uh, but he's the only one who knows how he feels in that defensive position and uh, with the 12 inside him. But I do think as well, he probably missed a little bit on the start of play. Marshall, um, when he plays for, for um, Ulster, again, a little less sophisticated in, the, in his gameplay. You know, I think this little, working under Joe will help him in a huge way. They're a little less sophisticated in their start of play. Plays and a result not quite as accurate as maybe Leinster are um, and uh, Darcy is because he, he's more used to it. But you know, I, I think he's he it wouldn't be um, a massive disaster if he was playing next week at all. And I think he could perform really well, especially against you know a very big um, Welsh uh, uh, centre partnership. But one thing I, that I, I noticed well, and I've probably been hard on Paddy Jackson for the last I don't know while a while, but I thought when he came on, uh, you know, and he came on in a nice situation, but I noticed him just before the end of the game. When you know something that I've been really critical of him for is running a negative line on a switch line. He ran this perfect positive line 
attracted two players to him and there was a switch under him. I can't remember who it was now, but a player switched under him and maybe, maybe it was Trimble and made huge yardage. I thought that just has, again, that's something that has Joe's fingerprints all over it. Just want to move and up, he, yeah. And if you can do that uh, alongside, you know, improving like the likes of Marshall, I think that bodes really well. I do just want to move on. You mentioned Wales there, Shane. Dennis, just, just on the Welsh, we, uh, Jamie Roberts last week was saying that, the, I think the quote was that Warren Gatton has told him to walk around with the strut of champions. Uh, he says that they're deserved favourites. Sam Warburton says the same thing. They're the best team in the competition. They, they, if they play to their potential, will win the whole thing. It seems to be a very concentrated policy from Gatlin there to tell everyone else. I don't know, do, do the alpha male thing and go around telling everyone else how great they are. Well, I think um, Warren obviously feels his players need that. Um, he needs to reinforce uh, that with them. And I think this is one of the, I think a bit of the analysis that was missing after the, the Wales-Italy game is that people kind of scratching their heads going, well, you know, Wales did have a fantastic game and, you know, it doesn't make much sense to the Grand Slam champions. But, you know, the, it, the, it's it's to me it's it's very obvious. I don't know how you can expect guys who get beaten week in week out as they a lot of them have been doing in Wales. Like they most of the all the Welsh teams are out of the Heineken Cup, uh, and in the last round, I don't think either of them played particularly well. I saw a few of the Wales a few of the Welsh regions play. And, and over over the course of the year, you know the mid table in the league uh, in in the Rabo, so. You know, no team benefits as much from being in camp as Wales because they do go into this mode of you know, you know, we are the champions and they are the champions. And 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 Gatti is Gatti is always recognised that, that the Welsh guys more than any probably more than any other team he's ever coached need that confidence, you know, reinforcement. Um, so as soon as he gets them in camp, that's exactly the way he starts thinking. He, he recognises that the Welsh psyche actually needs that, and he sees that you know these guys are coming into camp, they're beaten off the park last week, you know, for Cardiff or for or for even for the they just haven't been performing well, so I don't think it's 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 rational to expect them to come into camp. Uh, and uh, maybe Shane would think differently, but it's very difficult to come into camp when you're getting beaten and then just switch it on and pick up where you left off. They seem to have done it before, though. But maybe they, not to I'm not sure they. Ha- see, I'm not sure they have because you know, for example, Ireland they slow started very slowly last year against Ireland. Now they, again, that's the point I'm making is that they, no team gets as much from being in camp as Wales do. They build into it and very quickly. And they had quickly. the right first match, maybe. Just and maybe they had the right first match. I expect them to be significantly better. But part of part of their preparation is not just on field. It's this. Kind Kind of talk themselves up because they actually need that kind of bigging up. And uh, you know, I mentioned to you beforehand, Jamie Roberts been interviewed after the game against Italy. He didn't mention Italy once. You know, he didn't say, you know, what, what about the game? And he, he didn't say. It. He didn't even give the the the, the, the platitude. Well, no, to be fair play to Italy, they got stuck into us. It's like they weren't even playing. Right. Really. You know, it was all about us, Wales, 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 and that's that's just what they need. And it's. You know, it kind of bristles the Irish mentality because it's not the way Ireland is. We, you know, Ireland, Irish people don't go around talking about how great they are in the lead up to a match uh, or in the lead up to anything, really. Um, but the Welsh, that's that's what they need to do. And a lot of it comes from the fact that they're 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 carrying a lot of non-performances into the Six Nations. You'd hope, Shane, they're setting themselves up for a fall. But in fairness, they have backed it up over the last couple of years for the most part. Yeah, I don't think that sets them up for a fall. I think it's integral to yeah. them performing well, actually. Yeah, I think it's, I it's almost the opposite. Um, I think if Ireland were to go like that, I would say, yeah, yeah I agree with you. I'd say, yeah, they're setting themselves up for a fall. It doesn't work well with our um, mentality. It doesn't actually work well to get you know crowd behind us. It's not what people like or as individuals or almost as, as a collective nation. But Wales, I think it's important for them that they do it. And that's why... 
you know, I wouldn't. There's a lot of a lot of um, about Gaddy's coaching that I, I don't think is is very good. You know, as a technical coach, I, I think he's only okay. Um, but I think he has got the nail on the head when it comes to the psyche of these uh, Welsh players, and you know, creating the little bit of a storm before big games. You know, bigging up the team. You know, he, you know, I'd expect a bit of controversy about you know the Brian issue this week as well. As he's already started it. These are. Do you all think so? Things. Is he, he going to? Is he not just going to smile politely and ignore any questions no. about Brian O'Driscoll? No. No. Listen, they forged this. They like to forge this. You know, um, we spoke about it last week. The development of a team Wales. Nobody develops a team and a club mentality within their nation in the Six Nations as well as Wales. Actually, Ireland looked pretty good. They looked to be moving towards that um, yesterday. But Wales are the masters at it. And it has a direct correlation to the way they play. They've started it at the weekend, as Dennis mentioned. I think you'll see that continue and grow over the week before the game. There'll be a siege mentality. There'll be, you know, yes, Ireland are off the back of this now. They've had a great performance. Nobody rates us, although we've got two, you know, championships. We've got we've got the Grand Slam, but they'll develop this, they're bigging themselves up, bigging their team up, and I think for that reason they'll be much better at the weekend, and we could have an absolute barnstormer. Yeah, like I, I think, um, like I think you you can expect us to, you know, a likely quote from from Gatland will be something along the lines of, you know. You know, yeah, Ireland did well in November, but you kind of wonder their ability to close out a tight game. You know, he'll say something like that. Yeah. You know, he'll, that's the kind of reference he makes to New Zealand. He say, yeah, they did really well against New Zealand, but, you know, you just kind of wonder Ireland's ability to close out a tight game if they really have to. What would he know? say about O'Driscoll? Now that we're predicting Warren I, I, I actually don't think he'll say anything. I think he said, no. you know, he'll say more, more of the same. I think Brian, I think both of them will be wincing at the at the, at the the possibility. Now, Ireland might might, might uh, capitalise on it. Um, but there is this kind of tension that's, that's grown between Wales and Ireland. And, and I suppose there Here's how I see it. It's developed. You have on one side of the equation, you've got Wales who look to themselves and say, "We've won how many Grand Slams in the last ten years? Uh, we've won. You know, we, we you know we're the Grand Slam champions. We're going for three in a row. Um, you know, we had the most of the Lions players. We, we're consistently we've been consistently better than Ireland in the last five to six years, right? Um, and why do these guys think that they're always better than us every time we come to play them? Right? And and that's even spilled over into the into the journalists. Like even guys like Stephen Jones, they, they've all bought into this this sort of thing. They kind of get exasperated with the audacity of Ireland to believe they they can win because they look at the international record and they go, "There's no comparison. Ireland have won one Grand Slam in the last fifty years or whatever it yeah. is." Meanwhile, on the Irish side of the equation, you've got Irish guys going, "We beat these guys every week in the Rabo. We beat them at Heineken Cup level." Um, you know, when it comes to those big games, they run at the gate. You know, they don't play with the same passion as we do on a week in, week out basis. Um, you know, why do these guys think they're better than us? Because we, we're better than them every week. And again, even the Irish press, got, you know, kind of row in behind that and say, you know, they, they cover the Heineken Cup. The Heineken Cup is so much bigger here. So you've just got this tension that's built up when both sets of players and teams and managers and media and public are just you know, bewildered with the audacity of the <laughs> others to think that they're better than them. And then, and as a result, you've got this great rivalry. Dan, I think that actually flows over even to the fans. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the fans, I think there's something about yeah. um, the Welsh team that the Irish public go, "Hang on a second, these guys don't even show up week in, week out. They're not, you know, they're not good professionals. They're yeah. not committed to their to their regions, and they're not performing week in, week out." We've got look at our guys. Our guys are so honest. <laughs> you know, exactly, they're so yeah. committed to Leinster, Munster, Ulster, Connacht. They're like they kill themselves, and then they turn, pull on the green jersey and it's trying to recreate that again. So mm. I think it even flows over yeah, to the fans. The Welsh fans are going, "Why?" You know, why aren't Ireland, you know, they'll do it for their provinces, they'll do it for their 
clubs, but you know they're not performing at the level they should for their team, like the way our guys do. Yeah, yeah. Is there is there in a way, Shane? I'm very much simplifying this though. But is there an issue here? You saw the Irish team uh, and particularly the back line. Do they have the physicality and the size to stop Wales? Because most teams in Europe, even the bigger sides, don't seem to be able to do that anymore. Listen, they can. They, you know, you can't say they're just not big enough or not physical enough to do it. Look, look at the New Zealand game. That's all. And I, you know, don't like harp back, harping back to that. But look at the New Zealand game. They dominated the New Zealand team. That is, you know, that we've seen them in wars against South Africa. We've seen them, you know, in wars against uh, Australia and England and brutal contests. And you just go, how physical are these guys? How can anyone compete with them? And you, you know, they do lure you into a, se- a false uh, sense that they're they're actually unbeatable, and you can't compete with them physically. But we saw Ireland did compete with them physically against a, you know, a massive team. So if your mindset is right, that you, you can certainly, you can certainly um, match them. Now, I'm not saying you ha- Ireland have to be able to steamroll um, uh, Wales. That's not what they have to do. And I don't think that's what they should try to do. But they have to get to a certain level to, that they can compete physically with them and then let the subtlety, the nuances of their game and the sophistication of their game plan beat Wales. But if you don't get to a certain level, you're right that you can forget about it but I think Ireland are well capable they've got big enough players strong enough players well conditioned enough players to uh, certainly to compete against that Welsh outfit Just a word on England-France uh, the analysis of this one is funny I know England were the better team in large parts Shane but they did lose the match and France now have one win uh, against the team who they, they struggle with um, traditionally from time to time uh, which team is more likely to go and win a championship at this stage? I think I think England. Really? Um, yeah, I do. I think so. I think there's a lot of trouble uh, in in the French camp. I I don't think that they're set up uh, to score a lot of tries. Um, I think they really talk about getting the bounce of a ball. You know, England got a few serious. Uh, France got a few serious bounces of a ball that you know fundamentally affected. Um, but do they have the outcome, do they have momentum the now? The, the word that everybody keeps talking about. Yeah, listen, I'm. I don't think that. Uh, I think their coaching is too conservative. I don't think they're creative enough. Um, I think they're missing a couple of their main leaders. Listen, I think both teams are. Uh, it was a great spectacle the other night. It was really, really great, exciting it was game. The best game actually, but by far, actually, the quality yeah. wasn't brilliant. You know, the quality wasn't fantastic. And what we saw with England, my fear about England is they've got a really, really strong pack. They're big physical they can you know compete with anyone they compete with those southern hemisphere teams i spoke about earlier and in the physicality stakes but uh, they're beatable if you can if you match them in that department because their backs are poor like the one the the one time that they tried to move the ball off a starter play the ball went in the deck and it turned the whole course of the game france got back into it went down the field so i don't think they have the, uh, the creativity Either uh, either in the, the centres or a 10. I think the 10 is a good player. I think Farrell is good. We saw on the lines he could be very good. But they don't get the best out of him. They don't make him stand flat. They don't attack the line. And I, I think their wings are, are, are poor at the moment, the wings that they've selected. So England are, are, are crazy. They've got this really powerful, strong, physical team uh, that can get you, deliver you the ball. And then they have backs that aren't very good at using it. I think if Ireland get over this game against Wales, they've got a huge opportunity for the Six Nations. Dennis Last word to you, will Ireland get over this game against Wales? Will we uh, knock them off their strut of champions? 
Um, I think it's going to be a very, very close game. I think to, for Ireland to win, they have to make sure that their ball carriers uh, aren't negated. I think if you're Wales, you're saying, okay, let's stop Keane Healy, let's stop Paul O'Connell, let's stop them getting quick ball, and that's Ireland's game, you know. That's what, what Australia did to Ireland, for example, you know, and New Zealand weren't able to do it. And stopping it is, is, is harder than just saying you're going to stop it, uh, as, as Ireland proved against New Zealand. Um, but I, I, I think that, um, I think Ireland have the capability to beat Wales uh, if they play with that same sort of intensity that they were able to bring to the um, uh, New Zealand game, which is, is significantly more than they had a, at this weekend. Um, the loss of Sean O'Brien is, is you know, still, and those big tight games, you do wonder the effect of it. Um, but but you have to say Wales have the hoodoo over, uh, over Ireland in recent years. I know Ireland won in, in Cardiff last year, but Wales, you know, in, in the last... You know, four out of the last five meetings, you've kind of, I kind of got the impression that Wales just had a little bit more than um, than Ireland, uh, and I'm and I'm fearful that that they'll have got over what they needed to get over last week, and uh, will bring a lot more intensity, which was sort of absent a little bit, and I think they'll have got the kick up the ass that they um, that they they felt. So, I think it's it's going to be a very tight game. I think if Ireland can um, can make sure that their set piece is solid make sure that their line-out game is functioning, which it did by and large yesterday, and make sure that they're not under under, under pressure in scrum, uh, which I think Wales will go after them. I think then then Ireland have a good chance to win. Okay, so who, do, who are you going for after all that? Uh, well, I have to go for Ireland. All right, sounds good. I have to, to go me. for Ireland. Shane, we'll give you a quick word on that, just just a prediction. Yeah, um, I think I think Ireland, I really do. I just thought it was a really good um, hit-out. The one... Could, a couple of concerns for me really quickly. Um, the six-day turnaround, it makes a difference. The six-day turnaround, you know, is a real advantage to um, to Wales. They do get that rest. Um, and the Six Nations takes a lot. Those matches are, you know, they really drain. So it's very important how they prepare this uh, week. Key man next week, I think, is Peter O'Mahony. He was brilliant. Yeah. He was brilliant yesterday. Uh, Chris Henry was very good as well. They need those guys to really fire because Sean O'Brien will be missing his carries, his leadership, everything. Good that Paulie's back. Um, uh, if they can just tweak a couple of things, be a little bit more clinical and get their defensive structure, uh, adapt their defensive structure um, to Wales. I'm not saying that they got their defensive structure wrong against Scotland. Maybe it was that they picked it for Scotland, but they need to adapt it for Wales. If they can do uh, that and um, they bring, as Dennis said, a, 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 a New Zealand level intensity, you know, maybe not quite that level, but not far off then I think they can win. And I've been positive. I was positive last week. I'm staying positive this week. I find it more, it's more enjoyable when Ireland win. Yeah, it certainly is. Shay, brilliant. Thank you. Cheers, Dennis. Thanks a lot. Are you paying too much for your current account? Maybe it's time for a change. At KBC, everyone can bank for just two euros a month. That's the price of a coffee. Just use your KBC debit card for purchases or cash back for free and avoid those annoying ATM charges. Oh, and did we mention you also get free internet and mobile banking? And before you ask, yes, your bank could be charging you for all these. Other fees and charges apply. Visit changeyourbank.ie, call one 800 or pop in for a coffee at any KBC hub in Dublin, Cork, Limerick and Galway. KBC, the bank of you. Two euros a month is based on a quarterly fee of six euros. Terms and conditions apply. KBC Bank Ireland PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. It sounds suspiciously like Dennis was about to predict Wales but couldn't quite bring himself to do that the analysis of France England is interesting that's why I wanted to put it to Shane there and he answered in the way that I've heard most people speaking and that is that oh oh, sure England lost the game but they looked the stronger team they looked the better bet I know France were (laughs) very very lucky at times but it sometimes seems in rugby it's almost like you know a golfer 
would say, yeah, I played great, but I just didn't put it very well. As though putting is an alien part of the mm. game. It, there seems to be a little bit of that with rugby sometimes. Like, yeah, I mean, France, sure, they scored a couple of amazing tries, but structurally they were all yeah. over the shop. I would have thought them winning the game and now having a home game, I think, up against Italy next weekend sets them up for a massive run of the championship. Yeah, like I kind of do feel that sometimes when uh, rugby is being analysed that there's such an emphasis being placed on getting your structures right, getting the the easy parts of the game right, that, that people put such a high premium on that that it's, it's nearly written off that you can run in brilliant tries uh, on the back of individual brilliance. Only France and arguably Wales can do anything like that. Yeah. In like, Europe, I mean. Yeah, I, I, I do think that uh, if you score unbelievable maybe tries, maybe, you know, you can't, you can't plan for it, you can't base your entire game plan around individual brilliance. But at the same time, so much of sport is about individual brilliance and that you can't kind of just write it off. You can't just say, well, you know, they scored an absolutely unbelievable try, but I mean, you know, what, you know, what, what does that actually mean? I mean, you, you do actually, actually have to give them credit for having the players that are capable of doing Particularly amazing Particularly when you, you need like to win, if you're France and you can... Maybe you can't assume these days you're going to beat Italy and Scotland, but if you get your Italy and Scotland wins under your belt, you're talking about winning three games and you've just won one of them. Yeah. Uh, you're getting kind of close to a Grand Slam. Simon Hick has popped over to us. How are you doing? Not bad, Simon. You were at the Ireland game yesterday and the post-match press conference yeah. as well. What was the kind of vibe like there? Well, it's funny you, you're talking about the end of the France game. And I think throughout the France game, there was a chance they were going to pull out something like that. Their first two tries were a little bit lucky, but they were kind of peppering the English line and looking like they might do something dangerous. And uh, it's not like if a team does it once a decade, then you go, all right, let's not bank on that. But France do it to some brilliant team at least once a year. And this is what we want to see from France as well. I didn't want to see France squeezing out a one-point victory, 10-9 or something, you know. Although those matches are funny when they just beat the crap out of each other. But France are the team that could do that. So what about Ireland? But the thing is, the theme afterwards kind of hits on that as well because... You know, Joe Schmidt was there, Jamie Heasley was there, um, spoke to Dan Tui, Marty Moore, Conor Murray, and all of them were saying, well, you know, things started a little bit slowly, but then we, we worked out our own patterns and we worked out Scottish defensive patterns, and then we grew more into the game. And that is kind of the way it happened, but ultimately it was this sterile sort of game, sterile atmosphere. Then Johnny Sexton runs 50 metres, throws an unbelievable pass, and Jamie Heasley almost scores. We then get a pretty good try from Andrew Trimble after that. And, and then the patterns start to come in. So... People talk about uh, sort of, you know, putting individual brilliance to one side, but actually sometimes the patterns work better as a result yeah. of individual brilliance. And everybody relax then and go, okay, we here's what we're good at. Let's go back to the phases and all the rest of the stuff. So there was, you know, I don't know, a little bit of an idea that Ireland are going to stick to their patterns, stick to their structures against Wales, but we're going to need our brilliant players. As in every international game, you need your brilliant players doing brilliant things if you're going to win it. Um, I... I spoke to a few lads, but Trimble was maybe the most interesting them afterwards. I just asked him if the performance was good enough to beat Wales, and can we get excited yet? I think, I mean, when you look at that Welsh side, there's massive quality um, there. But when you compare it to Ireland, you know, I think I think we've got something similar. I think we've got an awful lot of quality, and I think we've underperformed in in the last few years. And I think I think this side that played um, today is capable of of winning championships now at the minute. We've beat Scotland, so let's not talk about championships at the minute. Let's talk about playing Wales, and I think we're more than capable of putting in a big performance and getting a result. It was was it more of a cold professional performance today than a wild emotional game? You, you seem to be contained within yourselves, not panicking too much when it was tight in the early stages. Yeah, I think it's important to have the <clears throat> the combination of both. You know, just um, 
just cool heads, you know, making sure we know exactly what we're doing. The, the game plan's massively technical, but we all know it, like the back of our hands, because we were rehearsed it all week. Um, so we we all knew that. So that that's a given. We put that to one side, then we just make sure. So I was talking about how special Six Nations weekend is and getting into it and just playing for Ireland um, means the world to everybody so um, just that bringing through that emotion but kind of just just making sure you're on top of it and just you have those both, uh, both those aspects whenever you approach a game There's been a lot spoken about uh, Joe's t- uh, the technical aspects to his coaching um, the emotional side before, after the Australia game there was some criticism there how do you find him on that side of things? I can't really comment on the autumn because I wasn't involved. I know this week I think we've got it more or less more or less right, um, <clears throat> and I think if if we if we do the technical stuff and we get it done early, kneel down earlier on the week, then we can start looking forward and just absorbing the atmosphere and just enjoying um, just the bus trip to the game where you can just see how much it means to the supporters and just stuff like that, and even just getting the chance to watch the Wales at League game and the England France game and just build that buzz for Six Nations. Um, I think that just all buys in and it more or less looks after itself um, so if we, we make sure we get the technical stuff sorted at the start of the week and then we can start to build towards the game after that I like the start of that interview Trimble was sounding almost like Jamie Roberts there like, oh, we can win a championship no reason why we can't win a championship and then but we can't talk about the championship he remembered he's Irish and not Welsh so we yeah. can't go but talk you've already about talked about the championship <laughs> Andrew the cat's out of the bag how good is the Irish team based on what we've seen well, I think the first 15 isn't as good as what we've seen in the past. And it was weakened a little bit, I think, by Darcy pulling out late, Paul O'Connell. Obviously, Sean O'Brien's out for the whole championship. Tommy Bow might come back in, Dunnock Ryan come back in. If those four or five players come in, then we have a really good starting 15. But I think at the moment what we have is maybe the best squad we've ever had. Uh, if you think about the front row that can come on for us now, it's McGrath, Marty Moore and Sean Cronin. Not only are they all... Not quite as good as the guy starting, but really good as subs. But they're also impact-type players. Jack McGrath carried the ball a couple of times. Sean Cronin always carries the ball brilliantly. Um, Marty Moore looked really comfortable, very confident talking to us afterwards. That's the best reserve front row we've ever had in the history of the game. Um, and then just throughout, you see how many wings got injured, and yet we've still got Trimble and Dave Kearney uh, performing really well. Dave Kearney was one of the top carriers for Ireland uh, during the game. Um, one little question over what I touched on there at the end with Trimble was the emotional preparation. Yeah, and this is something slowly. that we were talking about. With I think everyone accepts that mm. against Scotland, you're just not going to be as... Professionally, you should be trying to get yourself up to the pitch. But we, everyone uses the New Zealand game as a benchmark. I, I would have thought that the Wales game, we should be able to get emotionally as fired up as we did against New Zealand. If not... When do we get fired up? Just just against New Zealand? Just yeah. just after getting a hammering against Australia? I would have thought that Dennis and Shane talked about getting close to that pitch. I don't see why we can't get to... Yeah, because no, I mean, New, New Zealand were going for history. Yeah, it's uh, a perfect first, storm. Perfect that... season. And then Wales are going for the first time uh, to get three championships in a row. So there's that huge carrot there for us. Um, there's still a tiny question mark, not over Joe Schmidt's mental preparation with Leinster ever because they won two Heineken Cup finals under him, but maybe at international level it is a bigger factor than it is at provincial. All right, coming up later today. That's... Yeah. <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. What are you doing down here, you Johnny man? You're looking forward to being out on a Monday again? Yeah, I can't wait. Although I am actually 
pretty upset about being out on Monday today, Owen, because the Chelsea-Man City match, which will define the weekend, is actually on later oh, on. yeah. So we decided to put the first football side <laughs> in a Monday right around the time that the best Monday game is on. So in the absence of the Chelsea Man City match to talk about, I guess we'll we'll We can talk about it some Financial people. fair play, third party ownership. There's a lot of exciting stuff to talk about around the margins. Can we just margins. record a few different variations on themes that may come from the Manchester City How game? How about this, right? How about we record the bit where we say Man City win this game 3-0? Yeah. And just 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 go with that. Just say that Let's that's the most Aguero like, scored a goal. He's playing great. Yeah, Jose Mourinho has what said something controversial. What about that controversial comment from Jose Mourinho? Well, the game? it's a shame on the game. Jose it's Mourinho a it's a has done a lot of yapping in the yeah. lead up to this, and it's looking as though he's going to end up doing a lot more afterwards because I think they're probably going to lose tonight, mm. Chelsea. But of course, we don't know that, so we can't uh, we can't really talk about it. But we can we can talk about, about it now because we can play, certainly speculate still a few it. hours to go. Yeah. There are other things we, we can talk about, um, such as. Ronaldo's red card. We want to save that for the. Yeah, we can, we'll t- we'll talk a bit about that. I mean, it's every so often there's a moment which comes along in football where you, where really the game just has to hold its head in its hands and think to itself, where did it, where did it all go wrong for me? That's the game. That's coming up a little bit later on. Paul Galvin has announced his retirement from intercounty football. Darrow Shea, his former teammate, joins us to chat a bit about the impact that Galvin has had over the years. Darrow, he's 34 years of age now. He spoke a while back about his style of play and that he's had to alter it somewhat in recent years because he was damaging his body, to not to put too fine a point on it, by slamming up against men way bigger than him uh, time after time. So I think he's tried to veer away from that, but he's still a guy who will get stuck in. We know that. Did he do well at 34 years of age to get so much out of his body and out of himself on the intercounty scene? Yeah, and what you said there is very relevant. I mean, like as a, as a, as a midfielder, I found him, he was great for me because he was great for punching holes. I mean, if you're playing against some of the bigger midfielders, Paul thought nothing of throwing himself across the, the traffic as well, you know. And from that, like if you, even in training, if you, if you were lucky enough to catch a ball, that you hit the deck, you know, you'd be looking out to see where he was coming from because he's very sized. Like he was like one of these centers in rugby, you know. He he just he's huge. He was very tightly put together, and he's contact. He great he great timing as well off hopping off fellas. You know, he, he he'd hurt you. Like I remember one day he hopped off Kieran Wheeler and set him back about ten fifteen minutes. Gave me plenty of room to do what I was doing. <laughs> yeah. It sounds almost like yeah, like I say, almost like a Gordon Darcy kind of figure um, in that sense, I guess, in, t- in terms of a rugby comparison. When he came into the squad, uh, two thousand three. Really he started playing in 2004 was it is it immediately apparent with a guy like that that he's going to be brilliant or for guys like yourself and Seamus Moynihan and these older campaigners at that stage are you waiting to be impressed by a new player like that well, it's, it's like it's like the league. They will say, for example, on Saturday night, he's, he's always there's always a couple of new guys come into the the setup, and Paul was the same, you know. But there was something different about Paul insofar as that Paul had bought into this. Paul was going to make it with or without you, you know. He was in that attitude. He was just tuned in. He was very very aware of the tradition of Kerry, you know. He was very aware of how he wanted to be himself, and he, he created he created an for himself. I mean, like there was, you know. I mean, you often hear it in, 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 in GA terms at the moment, you know, a Paul Galvin-like wing forward. You know, that was the kind of... He, he created his own kind of style of play. He created... You know, he chipped in with his two or three points every game, but he was... The industry he brought to the half-forward line, the work rate, the selflessness he brought, it was just super in that regard. And I like... Again, he 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 just one of these guys that looks that... The longevity of what he did with the way he put himself about is phenomenal. 
Yeah, Jim Gavin said uh, on Saturday night that he feels that Galvin's technical abilities might have been somewhat overlooked. I don't know if you think that's... I think people are generally, certainly outside Kerry, and I assume in Kerry, are well aware that Galvin was a really good footballer as well as being a, a tough guy on the field. Well, uh, look, the best way you can describe it all is if, if, you're, if you're a wing-back or a midfielder and you're, you're taking a chance, you say, against one of the better teams, against the Dublins or the Tyrones or whatever, you know, the Cox, you, and you, you're, you, Paul Galvin gets on the ball and you make a decision. And you can make this decision. This is very relevant because if, you, if, if the wrong guy gets on the ball, it's, it's a big bearing in your decision. Will I make a run here? No. Because if I make a run, will he, will he give the ball away and will I be cut out of position? With, with Paul Galvin, that decision was very easy because if you made a run, you knew he wasn't going to give the ball away. He was going to give it to a green goal. His kicking was that good. I mean, he rarely gave possession away. So you were very confident in making that decision that you would get the ball. The uh, other side to his character, I guess, uh, would be seen in the controversies he was involved in over the years and they're kind of being documented today as well. As, as a teammate in those situations, were you ever shaking your head and going, come on, Paul, you know, you've let us down a little bit here? Uh, well, you, uh, look, there's several times that you, you know, Paul himself would know that he did wrong, you know, there was certain times that he just went too far, and that was that was part of the package with Paul, you know, what you see is what you get, and, and yeah, to be fair, but like a few times that it happened, I suppose it was, you know, it was it was well documented and stuff like that. But the funny side of it was like that afterwards, I travelled a lot with Paul from Tralee to Killarney for training, like he very self depreciating like you could he could laugh at it like you you could have a good laugh you know you'd be going to a training session on a Tuesday night or a Thursday night in the game and I'd say to Paul like what, what are you going to do this week will you will you catch somebody with the throws will you catch Jim Gavin maybe with the throws or something like that you know you, you, you'd mention something like that to him and he'd yeah I've, I think just maybe before half time he'd say you know he'd, he'd carry on the joke yeah maybe before half time if I get into a row just before mm-hmm. make sure get, get maximum coverage get two or three cameras on me as well like uh, yeah. you know, he had a good sense of humour like that so like he did he didn't worry his heart being sleeve he didn't, he didn't you know I, I, I enjoyed playing with him I enjoyed his humour as well his humour was very good in the car you know he, he, it's something that people don't realise people think that Paul is very sour and you know that he's he, he, his demeanour is kind of I suppose very serious, but he's not. He's actually quite a quite an affable kind of a fellow, very witty guy as well, you know. Yeah, a good player uh, himself. Tomas now gone. Was there enough in the performance of some of the younger players to suggest that there is a, a decent season in store for Kerry? Yeah, I was. I was happy. I was happy with some of the younger players. I was actually some of the more senior players. I was disappointed in. You know, I, I thought Kerry in that crucial third period. You know, in that crucial area when, when Dublin were reeling Kerry in a small bit towards the end we'll say that last quarter I thought that some of our more senior players should have guided could have steered the ship home if you like you know I thought some of the decision making some of the ball handling skills the errors that were made in that final section you know really cost Kerry I think we gave away about nine possessions you know so I think from that point of view very promising for the, the younger Kerry players but some of the, the more established players I was a bit disappointed with their leadership Dara listen we'll leave it there great to talk to you thanks a million take care he's one of those players Murph I think that everyone tries to define certain teams in certain ways often overlooking the similarities between them mm. that Tyrone team when it was at its very best I know like the, the, at one point certainly in 2003 maybe they were ultra defensive but as they got a little bit more attack minded a couple of years later I think they weren't that dissimilar to how some Kerry teams are yeah. they, were, they were strong tough tenacious defenders uh, this is simplifying it somewhat and they had incredibly skillful attackers similarly Kerry there's an idea oh they're just all natural footballers in Kerry as so they just kick the ball around a little bit and they're all Morris Fitzgerald mm. they're actually not they have to work harder as well no one has worked harder at 
playing a certain type of game than Paul Galvin did. And I think the timing of his arrival on the senior inter-county scene really, it just fit the narrative perfectly because they saw uh, people looking from the outside to carry football, saw them picking a guy who was a very, very hard-working uh, player in the wing forward position and people said, oh, this is the response to the 2003 or he came on he played his first real year with Kerry was 2004 and they were knocked out of the 2003 championship by Tyrone and the ultra defensive blanket defence uh, Ireland semi-final game and it just fit the narrative that okay here's a new manager he's brought in this new player he plays a certain way it's the Kerry response to the the blanket defence when that really does a disservice to, to Paul Galvin. As it turns out, I mean, he nearly defined that role. There were a number of years where, you know, if, if you were playing it at wing forward and you were a hard, a very hard-working player, you were there... The, the, there Paul Galvin or there Brian Dewar. Yeah, it was either Dewar or it was Paul Galvin. And that overlooked Galvin's uh, scoring prowess because really he, he scored heavily for a wing forward who worked back as much as he did. And he actually scored heavily just if he was an orthodox wing forward two or three points a game from play, that's you're contributing more really than you're, you're over the average uh, for a contribution for a player in that position. And he did that for, for eight or nine years. So I, like, I don't think that there's, there's uh, anyone underestimating Paul Galvin, uh, uh, Paul Galvin's contribution over the last number of years or actually just his ability as a football yeah, player. He's a very, funny. very good football I remember player. speaking to him a couple of years ago and he said that for Kerry football... There is that idea even in Kerry. There's a certain pride in we produce guys like Darrow, Shea, who make it look somewhat effortless, who just yeah. have this big game temperament. They go out and they look great. But he was saying it's dangerous to go too far down that road, especially these days when other counties have players bulking up from reasonably early on. Yep. Te- or coaching. He was talking at that stage about a possible centre of excellence in Kerry and just that they you can't rest on your laurels in a county like Kerry. There's no guarantee you're going to be successful. And I think... It, that carries a lot of weight coming from him because he's looked at it and he's gone, I've prepared a certain way. And, um, you know, without glorifying him, his career too much, he had his incidents as well as we yeah. outlined there with Dara Shea. I still think he was uh, overall a pretty entertaining no, he force was. for good in the game. Yeah, I really do think he was actually. And uh, it was a guy getting the absolute maximum out of his ability in a county that maybe doesn't appreciate that as much as other counties do. I hope you've enjoyed our first ever Monday edition of Second Captains of the Irish Times as much as we've enjoyed it, Ken. The tea worked a treat. We could have gone a bit strong. Could have gone coffee. Yeah. But we stuck maybe with tea. Maybe we'll do. Maybe, maybe we'll do before Second Captains Football. Just lure you well, a load of coffee, Dennis. I'm going to get into my hammock and uh, I'll <laughs> see you all for Second Captains Football. Do follow us on Twitter at secondcaptainsfacebook.com forward slash secondcaptains. We'll talk to you a little bit later on today. Take care. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 